Let's take our Bible. Uh, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We haven't been in the Gospel of Mark for a month now. So big picture, we're looking at Jesus encounters. Last Jesus encounter was Jesus encountering Nazareth, the first six verses of Mark chapter 6. And so I'll be interested, when you think about Nazareth, Nazareth, tell me what thoughts come to your mind. When you think Nazareth, what would it be known for? All right, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. What else? What was probably Nazareth really most known for other than the fact that nothing good comes out of it? Because, yeah, it was where Jesus grew up, which is the irony of nothing good comes out of Nazareth, but Jesus grew up in Nazareth. That's, when I think Nazareth, I think, oh, Jesus, it's where he grew up. The second thought that comes to my mind with Nazareth is this. Of all the places Jesus went and ministered to, it was the least responsive to him. How ironic that where he grew up was most resistant to him. In fact, what the text says is in Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, and he could do no miracle there, Nazareth, except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. I can just imagine when he says that he wondered at their unbelief for, for Jesus to come home and go, you know, this is the only place people don't throng to hear me. This is the only place I go where people don't line up for healing. Because when it says he could do no miracle there, it wasn't that they lined up and it just one inning. He couldn't pull it off in Nazareth for some reason. The point was their unbelief was demonstrated how? Yep. That they didn't show up and ask. So that, that's the compelling nature of what I read here is that Again, it wasn't a limitation of Jesus in doing. It was a limitation on their asking. Unbelief is not fuzzy. Belief is revealed very clearly. Believing, what do we do? We ask. Unbelieving, we don't. So everywhere else, people believingly lined up and asked. And he came home. And couldn't work there. Not because he couldn't, but because they they wouldn't ask. And it's a, it's a, I think, a powerful reminder to all of us. What have we settled into? Absent of the supernatural work of God that we would go, and God doesn't really do much here. Is that because he can't or because we don't ask? Does he ever look at our lives and wonder at our unbelief? Given all that we've seen, given all that we've been taught, given all that we know, does he ever wonder at our own unbelief and our lack of asking? But sometimes it can feel like what Jesus experienced in his hometown is what we all experience in our hometown. Because you may go, well, I think Jacksonville's kind of like Nazareth. Jacksonville is resistant to the gospel. Do you think Jacksonville's resistant? 
I don't know what, what you think. I actually don't think it is. My experience is people in Jacksonville aren't resistant to talking about spiritual things. My experience in Jacksonville is that church people, religious people, Christ followers are reluctant to talk about spiritual things. The reluctance in this community isn't the unbelievers, it's actually the believers. We have this idea that Jacksonville's Nazareth. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to, nobody will receive it. But it's not that they won't receive it. It's that we're reluctant to actually initiate it. I mean, just think about, has your experience in Jacksonville been that you've tried to initiate and people keep putting you off? Or is it that I just have assumed that they don't? They don't bring it up. But you don't bring it up. And you're the one who believes it. Isn't that funny? Or not funny, weird, crazy. There's a reluctance on our part, not on theirs. So, with all our heart here at the chapel, we want to impact this community. And we're not going to impact it if we don't engage it. Get past our reluctance. So I want to introduce you to you just very briefly, and just in a quick video here, I want to introduce you to a way in which we can, as a church, engage this community in spiritual conversations. Watch this briefly. about life, faith, and Jesus is hard. And this is interesting because at some point, everyone wrestles with life's big questions. Questions about hope, purpose, meaning, and love. Imagine creating a space where people in our community, our friends, neighbors, and coworkers, can come and have conversations in a way that is authentic and unforced. Where leaders don't need to have all the answers, and anyone can ask tough questions and share honestly about what they believe. That's what Alpha is all about. Alpha started in a church in London years ago with a simple idea to engage friends who might not typically go to church. Lives were transformed, and it began to grow all over the world. Today, you can find Alpha in schools, coffee shops, church buildings, prisons, and homes. And so far, 29 million people have experienced Alpha. So what is Alpha? Alpha is a series of interactive sessions exploring the basics of the Christian faith. In each session, you eat food, listen to a talk, and have discussions in small groups. Eating food together creates space for people to connect, relax, and build friendships. The talks tackle core questions about life and faith from a Christian perspective. And the discussion allows people to unpack these ideas without fear of being corrected or judged. All of this is done in a fun environment where anyone is welcome. Please raise your hand if you've had experience with Alpha. Ah, okay, there's like seven, eight people in here. So we're up to about 20 people at the chapel who have experienced it. And I'm glad that the rest of you are here because it's tried and true. 29 million folks. And the fruitfulness of it is quite encouraging. 
And so even though, as it says, it's not coming to CFC in 2000, until 2018, I, I wanted you to share it with you so that you would begin to think in three ways, inviting, serving, learning more. First of all, learning more. If, if you want to learn more about you, know, that intrigued you. You can go out into our courtyard to the impact gazebo there, and there's some information, a card that you can get that would tell you a little bit more about Alpha and what it means and how you can get involved. Or at that impact gazebo will be Carol, or you could email. It's free. You could email Carol at cfcjacks.com and just say, hey, I'm curious. Tell me a little bit more about it. Is there another website that I can look at so that you could learn more, or if you'd prefer in person, November 2nd at 6.30 over here in D1, the building where the North Auditorium is, there'll be an opportunity for some face-to-face. We want you to learn more so that you can begin to think, who could I invite? Family, neighbor, co-worker, somebody at the gym, some families you hang out with at the field with. Who would you go, man, I've always wanted to engage in spiritual conversations. I've been reluctant to. I haven't known how to get into, afraid that I might get into some topics that I don't know how to handle, but I could invite them if there's going to be some food, and then there's a talk, and then there's just discussion, you know. Alpha is built for our current culture that is really focused around a coffee shop where there's conversation that happens. And so find out more so that you can begin to think through who would you invite? And then maybe ask yourself, could I serve in that? And if you think, oh, no, I don't want to sit around the table and lead discussion, that would freak me out. I understand. There's seven different types of ways that you can serve Some talking, some not talking. We need folks who have gifts of hospitality, gifts of design, gifts of welcome, gifts of cooking, gifts of administration. Folks who would say, I want to engage this community with gospel conversations. How can I help out? So use one of these ways to learn more. And then would you prayerfully consider believing Jacksonville is not Nazareth. And there's a work that God would want to do in this community. And he could do it through you. That this would help you getting past the reluctance, the fear of engaging in spiritual conversation. If you go back to the text, when Jesus wasn't reluctant but did meet resistance in Nazareth, what did he do? It's in the text, verse 6, second part of verse 6, if you have a Bible in front of you. What did he do when he wondered at their unbelief? If you don't have a text, here's what it says. And he was going around the villages teaching. Can you capture what's going on there? He, He had been to Nazareth, left a year later, more than a year later, comes back, and there's still resistance, so he keeps moving on, which I think would be easy to run past, but this encourages me because I think, well, some of you might be like me. You kind of work up the courage to engage a neighbor in a spiritual conversation, and then it doesn't go as well as you thought, or there actually is some resistance, and their resistance squashes your 
readiness and desire to engage. And because they resist, you stop. Because they don't start, you stop. You know, if that, that ever happened to you? You tried and then it didn't go so well, so you stop. I'm, I'm encouraged by Jesus. He goes, I came, shared. I wonder if they're unbelief, but I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to. This is it. Don't, I'm not going to allow the resistance of others to inhibit my responsibility before the Lord, my responsiveness to the Lord. So he keeps going. And as this, this is a transition verse that you wouldn't probably get without knowing the bigger picture of the life of Jesus. But this transition verse here, right here, brings about a major shift in the ministry of Jesus. Watch it happen as Mark 6 unfolds. And he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. So you see the shift? What was the major shift that happened when Jesus left Nazareth and started going around to many villages? What, what happened? He recognizes there's lots of welcome, there's lots of interest, there's lots of responsiveness in other places. I go, I, I, I need to deploy you two, you go to that village, 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 you two, you go to that village. This is the major shift. See, it's dramatically different in Mark 6 what had happened in Mark 3. In Mark 3, similarly, it says, and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. How is that different than what just happened in Mark 6? I put you to sleep with home videos? How's this different? Oh, this is significantly different. Right here, what's he doing? He's choosing them and appointing them, but not until Mark 6 does he do what? He sends them. There's a big difference between when you're chosen and when you are sent. See, there's a, and this is brilliant by Jesus, because lots of us have been a part of things, but never really paid attention enough to be able to actually go do them. Can you remember way back when you used to ride around in the back seat or even the front seat with mom and dad, and then you got your license, and they said, well, drive there, and you said, I don't know how to get there. You should have paid more attention. This is what's happening. Jesus chooses them, but before he sends them, he gives them months where they're like... We're going to have to do this at some point. It makes a difference. 
Six years here as the youth pastor, I never did, I was a part of a funeral once, but I was never responsible for a funeral. And then I became the associate pastor, and I can still remember the first funeral once I was supposed to be in adult ministry. And, and I thought, oh man, I've been to these things, but I've never been in charge. So I brought a three-by-five card to a funeral. I felt a little funny. Sat right over here, and I took notes on the funeral because I wasn't in charge, but I was paying attention like I had never paid attention before. That's what's happening with the disciples. You're part of stuff. You're just never in charge. Jackie went to... uh, I don't need to tell you that one. There's a difference between being appointed to do something and then actually having to do it. That's what's at Mark 3, they get appointed. Between Mark 3 and Mark 6, they are watching with new attentiveness because the day's coming where he's going to say, you two go there. And you're going to go, you're not coming with me. Nope. You two, you go over there. I'm not going with you. It's a new deal. That's what's happening. There's multiplication of ministry here. Now, in here, they had been some of many, many disciples, but when they were chosen to be the 12, they got a new title. What was it? They are now the 12 apostles. They were the apostles among the disciples. Do you know why they were called apostles? Because it means special ones. No, it doesn't. I made that up. It doesn't mean special ones. They were called apostles. Get this. It's very, very, very complicated. They were called apostles because it means one who is sent. See, it wasn't a, it wasn't a hey, that's an awesome title. It simply reflected what they were given to do, to be sent. So apostle... Their label, apostle, their title, apostle, is according to what they were chosen for. But, anything else than what? Well, when Judas betrays Jesus and then is remorseful for it and hangs himself, takes his life, Acts chapter 1 tells us that the 11 remaining apostles say, we need to replace Judas. Who's it going to be? And Acts 1 records for us another criteria that goes beyond the what. Therefore, it's necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up ascension, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So of the original 12, when they replaced Judas with Matthias, a unique qualification is given. It's not a just a what, a sent one, it's a who. Someone who had been there from the beginning the whole way through the ascension. So an apostle for the original 12 had a what, sent one, and a who with Jesus. Which is very clear, except if you go to Atlanta, you can attend the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta. 
Did you know that the apostles were from Atlanta? <laughs> no. But you could go to the Church of the Apostles in Fairfax and the Church of the Apostles in Lancaster and the Church of the Apostles in Seattle. Well, how can you do that? I mean, are they the apostles? Well, apostles like the original 12, were they apostles? Uh, impossible. Unless they're like really, 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 really old. No, it's impossible. And so this creates this confusion that some of us have lived with a long time and it doesn't really bother us. We just don't have any clarity. Are there apostles today? Well, Ephesians 4 says, and he, Jesus, the head of the church, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now, funny question here. Who wrote Ephesians 4? Paul, more specific, please. More specific. The apostle Paul, who did not meet the qualifications of the original 12. He was a sent one. He, he met the qualification of the what, but he did not meet the qualification of the who. So how did he get off calling himself an apostle? For this reason. There, were, there is apostleship as it was unique to the original 12. That there would be men who had been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry the whole way through who would testify of the resurrection of Jesus because it was going to be the foundation upon which the church would be built. And that foundation had to be built on eyewitnesses. But there was going to become a time when those eyewitnesses would no longer be living. And would the church still need apostles? What's an apostle? Would the church still need sent ones? Yes or no? Absolutely. And so there's all this crazy debate of, well, are there apostles today? And do people today have apostolic authority? And they're trying to lump it all the same. And let's just be very, very clear here. There's apostles as in the original 12. And then Paul was reflective of six other men called apostles in the New Testament who do not meet the who qualifications of the original 12. Paul and six other guys were reflective that there would be an apostleship going forward that would not be equal to the original 12, but still apostles. See, this is why the scripture says today we still need apostles. Why do we still need apostles in our present church today? What do apostles do? <laughs> they are sent out to proclaim the gospel in new regions where it's not yet been proclaimed. So the role of apostle continues, and it's one of being sent out to preach, and to preach very specifically in new regions. This is why, and man, I hope you'll capture this, this is why 
Apostleship is so clearly needed still in the church today. And it's why when the New Testament speaks of apostles, it often says this, and God gave first apostles, then evangelists, then prophets, then teachers and pastors. Why first apostles? Because they are in that language there, the tip of the spear. There, the apostles are the penetration point of the gospel. So do we need apostles today? Absolutely. There's major portions of our world that still need to be penetrated by the proclaimed gospel of Jesus Christ. First apostles. And then once that new territory has been preached, then if the church is going to function and be healthy as it's intended, then there'll be a need for pastors and teachers and leaders and prophets for the building up of the church. But where does it begin? Where? Apostles sent once. So therefore, we might typically think, oh, an apostle is a missionary. Not necessarily. Maybe. Maybe. I say, we typically think that, but not all missionaries have as their primary role preaching the gospel. This is important in our understanding of how we function as a church. We have, out in our foyer here in the South Auditorium, we have a whole board of our commended missionaries. Missionary is simply another word, sent one. So they are like an apostle, but... We have on that board out there missionaries who are administrators and missionaries who are servers and missionaries who have gifts of mercy and healing. Their primary role isn't preaching the gospel. We have out there missionaries who are apostles. So every apostle is a missionary, but not every missionary is an apostle. The apostle is the unique, is the missionary who has as their primary role and their gifting the taking and proclaiming of the gospel into new regions. So when Jesus sent his 12 to do that, I'll sum up what he told them in their instructions. He said, travel light. Don't take this, don't take this, don't take this. Don't even take an extra coat. Travel light. No, no two bags fly free on this one. Why travel light? Yeah, because the weight of will slow you down, keep you, you just take the bare necessities. So how are you going to survive if you only take the bare necessities? And you're going to have to depend on others for provision. This is what he said. Don't take any money with you. How are we going to eat? <laughs> and the people who are receptive, they're going to feed you. You're going to have to humbly depend on others. And he says to him, we read it already, lodge with those who receive you. You might want to write, if your Bible doesn't have it, beside Mark chapter 6, Matthew chapter 10. The end of Matthew 9 and all of Matthew 10 is the parallel passage, the much more amplified version of the few verses we just read in Mark chapter 6. Much more detail on Matthew 9 and 10. 
He says, lodge with the receptive, but expect rejection. If they don't receive you, what were you supposed to do? Do you remember what Jesus said? Kind of a funny expression. Wipe the, the dust off the soles of your feet. Well, what the world does that mean? Is that like a godly give them the finger? Wipe the souls off. Well, what are you doing? Okay, so think it through. Whose soil, whose dust is it that's on your foot? It's their cities, right? How'd it get there? It got there because you went there. He is simply saying, go out to the edge of the city and go, This is on you, not me. That's what he's saying, right? This is on you. I came, I shared, and you rejected. I did my part. I'm going to move on. Now, you can't take that principle and apply it to marriage. (laughs) Sometimes we do stupid stuff like that. It's not a marriage principle. if If you're the gift of apostleship, if you're an apostle, Jesus said, Go, and if there's not responsive, move on. This is about penetrating the world with the gospel. Expect rejection. Move on in faithfulness. Don't allow their resistance to cause you to shut down. In our terms, to be an apostle requires mobility, humility, flexibility, and resiliency. The gift of apostleship. Now, I lay that out in front of us for this reason. Do you think there are people who God has made teachers who aren't using that gift of teaching here at the chapel? Are there teachers who aren't teaching at the chapel? Leaders who aren't leading? Givers who aren't giving? Administrators who aren't administrating? You with me? Are there apostles who aren't apostling? God intends to fill the whole earth with his glory. Every tongue and tribe and people and nation will worship him, that the gospel will be proclaimed. He intends that. There are apostles at CFC. He's raising up. Are we listening? Because what motivates Jesus, again, Matthew, 10 is the, Matthew 9 and 10 is the parallel passage to Mark 6 here. What's motivating Jesus is this. Here's Mark 6, 6 in Matthew 9. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the healing, every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. That's simply a parallel to Mark 6, 6. Now, Matthew says what Mark didn't. Seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them because he saw them distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. He's going, man, guys, wherever I go outside of Nazareth, I find people hungry. I find people receptive. I find a harvest ready. I just don't find enough people ready to go. So you two, you go. You two, you go. You two, you go. I'm sending you out as apostles 
to multiply ministry. See, what's burdening, what he's doing here is compassion and opportunity and need. And one of the most important questions you and I will ever ask ourselves is this. Who is lost and I am heartbroken over it? Does anybody break your heart that they're lost? Not that you're mad at them because they're messing up your community or messing up your school or pain at work. Now that your heart breaks because when you look at their lives, you see their lives coming apart at the seams because they don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're not mad, you hurt for them. Do you, do you hurt for anybody far from God? Not theoretically, really. Like real people. You have their face in your mind right now. This is credit. Jesus' heart is not theoretically broken. What's happening, he's going to village to village and he's experiencing people who need forgiveness and healing and redemption. And it breaks his heart. And sometimes as church people, we're not close enough that our hearts ever get broken. So it's just all theory. And it's not just a little compassion. He's gone, it's overwhelming. Everywhere I look, there's people ready. Just need more workers. Therefore, he tells his 12, beseech Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. That's his command to us. Ask the Lord for workers. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, and then he gave us precious few prayer requests, but so seldom are our prayer requests his prayer requests. All the stuff we pray about, how often... It might be horribly convicting for us to add it all up. How often do we actually pray, Lord, raise up workers? Some of you might go, I don't know if I've ever asked the Lord that. That's one prayer request Jesus actually mentioned at the table. (laughs) Hey, let's pray for workers. And I want you to know here at the chapel... When we talk about asking God to send workers, that we have prayer for missions every Sunday, right over here in E11 at 9.30 and 11 o'clock. You might not have even known that. Every Sunday, 9.30 and 11. Uh, next week, you might go, I'm going to come and actually obey what Jesus said. I'm going to ask for workers. But he doesn't stop with asking. He then says to the 12, come here. And he gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Why is he giving that authority? Because what's he going to do? 
He's going to send them out. He's going to say, hey, my heart's breaking. The harvest is so, so plentiful. Workers few. Would you ask? Excellent. Would you go now? Would you be the answer to the ask? And maybe that's really why we're afraid to ask, because we're afraid he'll ask us to be the answer to our ask. But the challenge of the text is very, very, very simple. Ask God to send workers and answer God if he calls you. Because are there apostles in the church today? Yes, there are. I have to believe that God wants to raise up apostles at CFC. Teenagers, college students, married, retired, sent ones to be the tip of the spear for the kingdom of God. Father, I ask that you would that you would raise up from this church whether it's Jackie or I, our kids, our other men and women in this body, would you raise up workers, tip of the spear folks, for the sake of your name among all people. And I ask, Lord, that as you answer that prayer, we would answer your calling with a yes, Lord. Would you there in the quietness of your seat, it's totally up to you, but would you say to the Lord there in the quietness of your seat, whatever you want, yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to share in your kingdom to be co-laborers with you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. I want to repeat Cindy's request. If you're new, would you stop by the guest reception? It'd be a great privilege to meet with you there. God bless.